Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Today, I'm thrilled to uh, announce uh, a couple that are here today. Um, it depends where you where their home. Their home now actually is in Palm Springs, California. Everybody say, Aww. Okay, Palm Springs, California. Laurie and I visited them a few years ago, and it is everything beautiful that you can imagine. Uh, they also have a, their, their summer home is in Kingston. Peter was born grew up in Toronto. After graduating high school, he attended Ontario Police College, worked as a police officer in Toronto for 38 years until his retirement in 2014. Last part of his policing was he was with the uh, Mounted Police of Toronto. You know those little big horses come out? And uh, he's been a part of that unit, a sergeant there for a number of years before his retirement. Pam was born and raised in West Virginia and attended Marshall University in Huntington, West Virginia, as well as Huntington Business College, moved to Toronto, Canada, started working marketing for Nestle's, and raise their children. She then attended Teachers College and was involved in career in the Montessori teacher as a t- Montessori teacher until her retirement recently. Peter and Pam have been married for 44 years, have two adult children, right around the age of our children, and one grandson, Russell's 35, uh, Laura Jean is 30, and Levi is five years old. We got to know Peter and Pam. Uh, first of all, it's I, as you know, I have a hard time trying to remember names. So when they gave me their name, they said, just think of Peter Pam. And so they are always Peter Pam. Not Peter Pan, Peter Pam. And that's, now you'll remember it like I will. Um, and they uh, became valuable members of our congregation, uh, got involved in our church in a deep way, were a part of Lori and Mai's uh, small group ministry for about eight years And in that time, we prayed for each other's families. We prayed through so many situations. And there were four families got together. And we prayed our children through so many situations during that period of our lives. Our children were around the same age. We've walked with them in a number of areas. And they have a story to share of God's goodness and His grace. And so I've asked them to come today and to share. They've been willing to do that. Would you give them a warm Aurora welcome? Thank you, Pastor Wayne. Uh, Pam's going to be coming up on the platform here later, um, so you're stuck with me for now. Um, and Pastor Wayne is still um, my spiritual mentor, so I'm really happy to be here. I did. Uh, Pam and I both attended a school of ministry at uh, his last church where we attended years ago, and uh, I'm I'm telling you, he, he did not solicit this. I just listened to the announcement. I'm telling you, you, you do want to go to this. It was amazing. Um, So I'm here to give a message of hope and encouragement. Um, It's regarding our son, Russell, and uh, he was uh, a healthy, happy baby. He was a healthy, happy child, and when he went to high school, everything changed. Um, We lived in a rural, uh, on a rural property, and he was bused into a town, and uh, he met people 
that we probably wouldn't have not wanted, we would not have wanted him to meet in high school. He got in with the wrong crowd and he got into the drug life and the drug culture in high school. Now me being a police officer, that was like <laughs> the worst thing imaginable. You've raised your child and and this is what happens. Uh, he, he squeaked through grade nine and got into grade 10. When he turned 16 in grade 10, he quit school. He wanted to quit high school. We encouraged him not to, but he insisted. Um, he, uh, we let him still live at home. Uh, his, his life was getting darker and darker and spiral, spiraling downward. Um, as Pastor Wayne said, there were a lot of people praying for him, but uh, he was not having any part of it. He worked. He got a car and worked because I told him, if you're not going to school, you're not just going to hang around here. You have to go and work. He did work. But by the time he was 18 years old, he had broken so many rules in the house. I even came home one day and caught him uh, doing drugs in our home with one of his friends, if you want to call him that. Uh, and that was not good. Back, in fact, they were smoking marijuana back then. It was illegal. And uh, me having somebody smoking drugs in my home as a police officer was unacceptable. So we told him, you know, you're 18, you're an adult, you've got a car, you can't live here anymore. It was tough love. I can never forget the day we had a 600 foot long driveway, we lived out in the country, and I can never forget the day watching him drive away, thinking, my son's gone, I don't know where he's going, but it's not good. And uh, he went to Barrie, Ontario, which was the big city for, for, for uh, where we lived. And uh, praise God, my niece lived there, uh, his cousin, and he was crashing on her couch frequently, and she let me know a little bit about his whereabouts. Um, she called me one day and said, he's in a homeless shelter now. He's not coming here anymore. So I found out where the homeless shelter was, and I called and talked to a very nice lady there who was very helpful. And uh, she said, yeah, he came in here last night. He was here last night, but he's in a bad way. He came in, he'd been badly beaten. He should have gone to the hospital, but he would not have. He would not agree to go. He'd been robbed of everything he owned. And uh, she said, I don't know where he is now. Imagine how you would feel as a parent getting that message over the phone. I said to her, can you please let me know if you find anything out about him? So we prayed and prayed, and thank God the next day, she phoned and said, Russell is sitting in my office right now. Would you like to speak to him? And I said, absolutely. So I'm going to take a sidetrack here. Um, from the day I, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I listened to a radio program uh, from Lakemont, New York. It was on WDCX radio in Buffalo, and it was called Victory Today. And it was the, the uh, pastor um, that was in charge of a place called Freedom Village. And it was in Lakemont, New York, and it was a home for troubled teens. So I knew all about this ministry. And uh, so now I'm back on the phone with my son, Russell. I said, Russell, how are you doing? He said, not good. And I said, listen, I got an offer for you. You can come home on one condition. We will be taking you to Freedom Village. He knew about it, too, because I told him about it before trying to get him to go there, but he wouldn't have any part of it. He said yes. 
Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. He said yes. So he came home. Uh, we had a one-month period between uh, when he came home and his intake day, where we were taking him down to Lakemont to the uh, to Freedom Village. And uh, that was a really bad month. He was worse than he was when he left home. I mean, he, he, he took his car out one night and crashed it into the ditch. And just, it was, a, it, was a, it was a long month, but we got through it. And we took him down to Freedom Village, and we left him there. And he told me many years later that he didn't want to go to Freedom Village, but he knew he would die if he stayed out on the streets. So, <laughs> thank God he went to Freedom Village. Um, he got in there. This is where the story gets good. And we were not allowed to have any contact with him for three months. That sounds pretty harsh, but it's exactly what he needed. He needed to be extracted from his environment completely. And then for th after three months, they rebuilt him with the love of Jesus. And <laughs> a month after he went there, he sent us a letter. He was allowed to write out to us. The letters were vetted by the staff, and they made sure that they were going to us and uh, not some of his cohorts in crime. And uh, in the letter, he said, I went to a midweek chapel service, and I gave my life to the Lord. Hallelujah. We can give Jesus a hand for that one. <laughs> and from then, there was no turning back. Um, uh, he, he excelled at that place. He, there was a high school there. He went there with grade 9 education. Uh, in, the program was a one-year program, and he did the year. Uh, he was moved up. They had levels, and the, more, the higher levels you went up to, the more um, privileges you got. We were eventually, at Christmas, allowed to go down and see him, even though it wasn't quite three months yet. Um, they let us come down because his behavior was exceptional. And he did his year. He got grade 10. And um, he said, I want to stay. He asked us if he could stay and finish high school there. And we said, absolutely. And that's the best investment we ever made. We let him stay there. They put him, because he'd graduated from the program, they put him on staff, junior staff, and he worked security. Uh, they had a big 55-acre campus or maybe even bigger, I don't know a lot of buildings and uh, he did security at night and went to high school during the day he was now in grade 11 and um, he's his marks uh, he, he never he was in 80s and 90s he was an honor student all through high school there um, he also because because he, even though he was graduated the rehabilitation program um, he he uh, was in high school, so he was allowed to play high school football. He traveled all over northeastern United States playing football. I went as far as um, Canton, Ohio, six-hour drive away to watch him play. I went to as many games as I could. The furthest he went to play, he played a couple of games in Tennessee. Um, so he had a really great high school football and career, and high school is huge. High school football is huge in America. So uh, that was an amazing experience for him and just helped boost his confidence and learn about teamwork and discipline. Um, he got within one credit of graduating high school down there, and he called me up. He said, Dad, I want to come home and do my last credit 
through correspondence. This is back before online stuff. And uh, so I said, I don't think that's a good idea. In my mind, I could only think of how he was in high school when he was here before. And I'm like, no, no, no. I, I begged him to stay there and get his last credit. He said, no, I want to graduate in Canada. Now, he's, my wife's American, so he's, he's a dual citizen from birth, he and his sister. So there's no border to him. So, but he wanted to be in Canada um, to graduate. So I finally agreed with it. That young man came home, and the best thing he did in Freedom Village was accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. The second best he did, thing he did was to learn discipline. He got up every morning, had breakfast, was in his room with the door closed at 9 a.m. He came out for lunch. He'd go back in until 4 p.m. working on this last credit. Uh, six months after he came home, he graduated from high school. So... <laughs> We, grade nine, we thought grade nine was going to be it, but with God, all things are possible, and uh, he graduated high school, and I said, okay, Russell, as a reward slash celebration, you and I are going to go on a road trip. He loves road trips. When, when our kids were younger, we went on family road trips all over North America, and so we got tickets for a, a Casting Crowns concert. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that group. They're still a, a pretty big Christian group today and, uh, in Nashville. So we drove down to Nashville and went to a Casting Crowns concert. We continued south. We said, let's just drive south till we hit the Gulf of Mexico. We ended up in Alabama on uh, Orange Beach, which is beautiful. I didn't even know it existed. And went west. We ended up in Texas. Uh, we went to a rodeo in Corpus Christi. Um, worthy of mentioning is that that rodeo they said if uh, anybody's looking to go to church tomorrow we have cowboy church here tomorrow so we looked at each other we're going to cowboy church <laughs> what a, what a church service that was uh, uh, it would be hard to compare to it it was in the arena and all the time that the pastor was preaching they were turning out horses letting them run around and this was all going on during the whole church service. then they turned out sheep and then they turned out cattle and cowboy church is cool if you ever get to go to cowboy church in texas do it um and we ended up coming back home then and we were away for about three weeks it was a great experience good bonding after being apart so long uh, and then he, I had taken him while he was living down in Lake Mount, New York. A couple of times he'd wanted to go to a U.S. military recruiting office. So I'd taken him a couple of times. We got home and he said, I want to be a Marine. I want to be a U.S. Marine. So, <laughs> whoa, okay. Um, so he phoned the recruiting center in Niagara Falls, New York. The next day, a, a sergeant, a Marine Corps sergeant, drove up to near Alliston, Ontario, and picked him up and took him down to New York. And um, they put him up in a hotel overnight. They, they you know, showed him a, a whole bunch of stuff, what the Marine Corps would be like, and they let him sleep on it. And he got up in the morning, and he went and enlisted in the Marine Corps. And they drove him back. A week later, they came up and got him again and took him back down to be sworn in. We went down and stayed in the same hotel he was in and we got to be at his swearing in ceremony. And every time this kid took a step like that, we cried like I'm almost going to now because we we're so proud of where he came from and where he was. Um, I'm sorry for being so emotional, but it's hard to talk about this without being emotional. 
uh, he excelled in the Marine Corps. He went into boot camp in Paris Island, uh, South Carolina. He, he went from May till August. Can you imagine being in a swampy island in South Carolina from May till August? Uh, while he was at um, boot camp, he was recruited for the Presidential Guard. Um, a great honor. Um, so he was selected for that, and just as quickly he was deselected when they found out that his both his parents weren't American. They insisted that everybody in the Presidential Guard be full-blooded American, and honestly, I can't blame them for that. You're guarding the President of the United States of America. You know, I, I don't blame them. But he was a little disappointed and a little upset with me for being Canadian. <laughs> um, but he went on and did well. And, he, and then the next phase of training for uh, Marine Corps is uh, um, School of Infantry. So he went to Camp Lejeune, uh, North Carolina for that. That was another three months. While he was there, he was given, uh, made an offer to join a unit instead of going after School of Infantry to join a unit a specialized unit called FAST Company. And that stands for Fleet Anti-Terrorist Security Team. Um, he accepted it. Um, he got, it came with a $5,000 signing bonus. And so instead of going onto an infantry unit after school of infantry, he went for another three months of training in security school. Um, that was a two, he signed up for two years in FAST Company. Um, when his two years was up, they extended it for another six months. And he did missions all over the world. Um, he started out in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, he actually did a, a domestic mission in Seattle, Washington was his first mission. Then he went to Panama. All these things he wouldn't, couldn't and wouldn't tell me what they're about until after he um, was out of the Marine Corps. Um, then he, went, he was transferred to Japan. He was stationed just outside Tokyo. And he worked in the South Pacific from there. He went to Guam. Uh, he went to um, Okinawa. Um, and then, then he was transferred to Guantanamo Bay um, in Cuba uh, to the military base there. There's a military prison there, if you don't know. And um, he worked there. Uh, his two years was up, and then his two and a half years was up. And uh, he was told, he, you know, it's time. He knew it's time now you have to do your... Uh, you have to go to uh, an operational infantry unit, which is what he signed up for originally anyway. But he had a really good two and a half years traveling the world. Um, he, uh, he was given a choice of being transferred to California or Hawaii. Wow. <laughs> he chose California for all reasons because he didn't want to ship his car to Hawaii so he could drive to California. So... Okay, you really can't lose on that deal anyway. So he went to California, and he came to an... Now, the good thing that he said about going at this stage in his career was he'd been promoted three times. So he did not go into the infantry as a grunt, as he calls them. Um, and, but he, he was a grunt, but he was in fast company as a grunt. And so he went in as a non-commissioned officer, and uh, he was sent to Afghanistan right after his training... And that was right in the height of the Afghanistan war. So he spent seven months at a forward operating base, which means most of the time he was sleeping in a hole in the ground in the desert. And he was on the border in Sanjin province between Pakistan and um, Afghanistan where the Taliban 
crossed back and forth. And in that seven months, on average, he said they were in firefights every third day, like live round firefights. He made it through the seven months, came back alive. A couple, two of his buddies did not. And um, he did his last year of operational service back in the base, um, working in the armory on the base. Uh, when he got out of his operational service, his five-year commitment, he had committed to three years in the reserve. He did something very wise. I don't know where he got, he got that wisdom from God because he didn't get it from me. Uh, there's something in the U.S. called a GI Bill where the government pays for um, military personnel's education. He applied for the GI Bill. He applied to university, and he got accepted to a university in California. He did a four-year Bachelor of Science course in law, uh, criminal justice. This is a kid who I thought would never get past grade nine. So he now has a Bachelor of Science degree in criminal justice. He did it. He went all summer for three, you know, all year round for three years. Did it in a four-year course in three years. Graduated with honors. <sighs> and the U.S. government paid his tuition bought his books, and paid him $2,000 a month living allowance while he's going to school. So, I mean, God showed favor on this kid. That's almost hard to believe. But we know with God all things are possible. Um, he met his wife on the base. She's now up, uh, she was in the U.S. Navy. Um, they both got out of the military around the same time. They got married in 2019, Pam? 2019. They bought a house in California. Um, they both got hired by the United States National Park Service and uh, as U.S. park rangers. They had dream jobs. They had the dream job, both of them. Uh, they loved it. He loved working there. And um, just this past June, he found online a train, uh, an opening at a, a, bay, a park, a national park in St. Augustine, Florida. Now his sister lives in uh, Orlando, Orlando, Florida. And uh, so he applied for this, uh, this posting in Florida. He got an interview online. He was hired at the end of the interview, right at the end of his online interview. He said, I'm not signing a contract till I come and see the place. I've never been there. So he went and visited his sister. And to make a long story short, August 1st, he and his wife moved to St. Augustine, Florida. So this is the only part I'm going to read because I don't want to miss anything. Russell Sperling was 18 years old and he was beaten up and robbed and living on the streets of Barrie and using drugs. And he had a grade 9 education. And 35 years old, he now owns a house in California. He lives in a brand new condo. He rented out his house in California. He didn't sell it. He's making income from it. And he lives in a brand new condo in Florida. He has a great job. He's got a university degree, and he's married to a good Christian woman. Uh, his wife was an elder at the church they went to in California, but they just laughed, and he was an usher. So they're both serving the Lord. He's given his life to Jesus, and that is what our God can do. That is how big he is. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I'm now going to call my wife, Pamela Jean, up. Uh, you can call her Pam. And uh, if there's any West Virginia accent words you don't understand, I'll explain them to you later. There you go, Pam.
morning. Good morning, everyone. You call me Pamela Jean. I think I'm in trouble. <laughs> and um, I'd like to thank you all for letting me share with you about our daughter, Laura Jean. We not only had one go down the road, the wrong road, but we had two. <laughs> Don't know what happened there. But she was always a, a very sweet, loving girl. She was, she was in my arms at church from the time she was an infant and was with me every, every Sunday. And as she got older, she would sit beside me and she would take notes because she knew that I, I loved taking and reading the notes after church. And uh, she, uh, she loved to, uh, to make people happy. And... Um, and so, but at 15, that all changed. It was if someone had flipped a switch and that sweet baby girl became a stranger. Our lives uh, became very stress-filled. That um, it, it just seemed that no matter what we did or what did or didn't happen, there was confrontations, there was anger, and the anger would quickly turn to rage. I kept looking for that sweet baby girl. I couldn't find her. She became a stranger in her own home to herself and to us. Looking back, there's so much to be seen in retrospect. Her weight loss, her pale coloring, always with the long sleeves which covered cuttings on her arms that were hidden cries for help. When I first saw her arms, I just cried. I had no idea. It just broke my heart. And um, then she ran away. She ran away several times. I drove the streets and the alleys of Alliston until the wee hours of the morning, looking down the streets to see if I could catch a glimpse of her, that maybe she would come and jump back in the car and come home with me. But I would go home alone and lie awake wondering, was she okay? Was she in a ditch? Was she cold? Was she hungry? Not knowing for a long time, even if she was alive. But eventually, she would return. She would come back. One cold fall morning, LJ, who I call Laura Jean, had missed her bus to school. And she was very determined that I was going to drive her to school. And I, I was, no, I have to go to work. You'll, you'll have to miss today. I'm sorry. So while I was getting ready for work, I heard the keys and the door slam. My heart sunk. I ran out after her, but I didn't make it. She was already in the car. She'd locked the doors, rolled the windows up, and I, and I was pounding on the windows and begging her, please open the doors, unlock the doors, please. And at the age of 15, with no driver's license, no driving experience, she, she drove off. The OPP was called, and later 
that afternoon, they did find the car parked in the parking lot at the high school, and thankfully, no one was uh, hurt. And once again, some a short time later, she ran away again. Uh, this time, the parent, the parents actually called and contacted us and let us know that she was safe, that she was okay, and where she was at. And I will forever be eternally grateful that, for that. She came back eventually, and in 2013, in the fall, she went to visit some friends, high school friends, and I went to pick her up. And uh, unbeknownst to me, there had been some alcohol and drugs. I, I was still pretty naive. I don't know, La La Land or something. I don't know. And anyway, I picked her up, and we were driving along uh, a concession road and chatting. And all of a sudden, she became very, very agitated uh, to the point that she began grabbing the wheel of the, the steering wheel of the car as I was driving, trying to take control. And I was able to finally get the car over to the, the side of the road and put it in park. And then the, the real struggle began, a desperate battle for me to keep control of um, those keys and the steering wheel and my seat in the driver's side as she was kicking and punching and trying to push me out the, the door so once again, she could take the car. Finally, the OPP arrived at the scene, and she was taken to the psych ward in Newmarket, where she had to stay for 10 days as they ran tests and, and counseling. As she had um, become so violent, we were truly frightened for her and for ourselves. So our, our lives were continuing on this spiral down into this dark abyss and I felt like I was in a nightmare that was straight from the pits of hell. I had come to the end of myself and I cried out to God on my knees and in total surrender and I told God, I said no more pretending, no more walking and telling people it's okay, yeah we're fine, yeah it's, it's good, it's okay, yeah. I was broken. I was broken in spirit. I was broken heart. And I was broken in my body. Complete exhaustion. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it in my strength anymore. And I cried out, Lord, I can't, I can't. I can't do this anymore. I can't stand up under this weight. I am so scared. I need you. I am losing my baby girl. What do I do? Looking back, I think, isn't it interesting how the one who can do all things, who created the universe, is the last one we go to? It's crazy. But our God who is a loving God and a good, good father. He opened his arms. He gave us favor. Our way maker made a way. 
And when LJ was released from the hospital, she reluctantly returned home with us. It was very tense. We were all walking on eggshells and uh, just waiting for a prayer to be answered. And the door to Freedom Village, where her brother had previously gone, called and the door opened and she could walk through it. And she accepted the invitation, which again was another answer to prayer because she could have said no and walked away once again. She was there for one and a half years. It took a lot of time and patience and love and need more love to break down those walls that she had built and to heal those scars. So God blessed us with a small group of some fierce prayer warriors that came alongside of us to pray for her as we were fighting for her very life. You may not know it, but the enemy is out there and doing and using whatever he can to steal your children and your grandchildren. And he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So no, you are not fighting flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the rulers of darkness of this world, and against the evil spirits in heavenly places, Ephesians 6, 12. And they are coming after the very souls of your children and your grandchildren. So put your armor of God on. Ephesians 6.10 through 18. And you arm yourself with the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. And you prepare to do better on your knees, in your heavenly language, with praise and worship, and with fierce prayer warriors alongside of you. And God will fight for us. And he is victorious. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I believe in my heart of hearts that God has a special place in his heart for mamas and grandmas' tears and prayers as we call out for our prodigals to come home. That, and so we need to believe and declare it. We need to search scripture Stand on God's promises. Call them forth in the name of Jesus and have faith for your babies to return. And they will. Because our God is a God of the impossible. And he loves us. He loves you. He loves you more than you will ever, ever know. Lord Jean was finally, she finally gave her heart to God. Freedom Village in 2014. She had a lot of rebellion, a lot of hurt. It took her longer than Russell, but she made the best decision of her life, and she's never looked back. She is someone who has a heart for God. She desires to serve him, but more importantly, she desires to have that relationship with her Lord and Savior each and every day and stay close to him in her walk. When she, uh, when she graduated, 
we asked her what she'd like to do, and she said, I'd like to go to New York City, as in typical female fashion. Let's go to the shops. <laughs> and so we went, we went to New York City and stayed for a few days and nights and, um, and, and treated her like a queen and loved on her and, and just so thankful, so thankful. She has since been on several mission trips because she, again, she has a heart. Excuse me. She has a heart for the homeless. She, and she's been to Orville, California. She's been to Puerto Rico. She's been to Cuba, uh, YWAM in the Philippines. And she just finished a year at Jesus Image in uh, Florida. And then before she moved to Florida, she graduated with honors degree in cultural anthropology from University of Toronto in 2018. So she's been a busy girl. And uh, she is now living in Florida. And she is blessed. She has Christian friends. She has churches that she attends, many small groups with um, people there to encourage each other as we go through life. We need that. Um, and uh, she is walking in freedom because the truth sets you free. And know that because he is risen, our past can be forgiven. Our future can be victorious. And may God bless you each and every one abundantly as you go through your week. And remember that he loves you. Thank you. It was good to hear the story again and in its fullness and the story, the reason we wanted to do this originally today was set back about a half a year ago, well, more than that. We had planned for um, uh, an outreach Sunday here on this Sunday today, and it was going to be focused on our emergency personnel appreciation, and we originally had a, a Voice of the Raptors of the uh, CFL Argonauts, uh, York Regional Police Chaplain Herbie Kuhn was going to come and speak, and and then about, uh, about six weeks ago, he couldn't. Uh, he was required at a game, I think, in Edmonton today. Uh, so he couldn't come on this day. And we just switched. We just thought we weren't to let today go. There was something God wanted for the day. And then the Lord led us to this because we really felt that God wants to do miracles in our families. And I think that really helped make that decision. This summer, I've... I've watch as you have what the enemy has been doing to so many families so many families in our church so many families in our community that have just been in battle in constant battle uh, one of our families uh, daughter came home from high school I believe it was grade 11 and the class had made a pact with each other that they would all be bisexual and uh, we're going to be talking in, in School of Ministry, we're going to be talking about what happens when you make covenants. 
Covenants is a work of the enemy. Go back into the Old Testament. Watch what happens when covenants are made. Word covenants. And the class had made a pact to be bisexual. And what that did began to separate a family. And on and on, so many stories. We need to, we need to go to battle for our families. And many of you have been in battle, not that we haven't been. But it's so easy to grow weary in this battle. And the enemy wants you to believe you're alone. And wants you to believe it's because of you that they're doing this. But you have to understand something about the enemy. Read it in John chapter 8, verse 44. He's a liar. He's a liar. How do you know when he's lying? Whenever he opens his mouth. He lies about you. He lies about your place in your family. He lies about your future. He lies about your inheritance and your children are your inheritance. He lies about the whole thing. And we've been inundated from the top, from government on down, with lies when it comes to our family. And brothers and sisters in the Lord, we've got to stand together in the name of Jesus and hold our hill for Christ. And we've got to contend for our kids. And when it looks like it's going the other way, you keep on, keep on fighting for your kids, keep on fighting for your kids, keep on fighting for your kids. As many of you know, our son's down in Florida, but we've had our story. And we were in the same time with Peter and Pam when they were sharing their story and families were just talking about each other's stories and we were where our son was had left and and didn't know if he was sleeping under what overpass underpass that night and and where his journey would take him but we wanted today to present this that we just make a fresh declaration we will stand for you lord even though what we see might be contrary to what we believe but we will stand for you i just want to share uh, a text here from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. In other words, you're not alone. And God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it in other words you are going to battle to the end to win and as Peter and Pam shared and it was our story he will bring people he will bring a church he will bring someone someone's there to join you in the battle he will not allow you to be tempted alone grab onto it you need the body you need that's one of the big problems we've had this past couple of years is he's tried to separate you from the body so that you quit you need the body you need to join together. You need to be in prayer. Last scripture I want to share is from our beloved John, the apostle. And he was writing and he said, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Everyone. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And then he says, Who is it that has overcome the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We're overcomers in Christ Jesus. So what I'd like to do this, this morning before we, we dismiss, I want us to pray for one another. I want to pray for our family. He's going to invite Daniel to come back up. And, and uh, we're going to just, let's pray. 
if those who are watching online, just, you know, we invite you to pray and join with us. But we're going to lay hands on, we're going to believe together. And if you are contending on behalf of your children, your children are at, my children are, I'm, I'm, God bless my daughter and Ryan, or daughter and son-in-law have been a part of, kind of in or out. They do live in Hamilton, so their church back in Hamilton wants them to join them sooner or later. But uh, we've kind of hooked them into a cornerstone for a while. But uh, my daughter, who is in her mid-30s, my son, who's just a little bit younger, uh, we thank God for them. But the battle continues. It doesn't end. You might have adult children. Your children might be teenagers. Your children might be downstairs. We have to battle for the children. Remember we saw the clip earlier? How important is children? How important is children's ministry? Absolutely important. And fight to the end, fight to the end, fight to the end. I've told this story a dozen times here. A lady in a church we were in, every Sunday when we asked for prayer requests, she prayed for her son, Wayne. It wasn't me, another Wayne. She kept praying for her son. 50 years, it was in their 51st year, he came to Christ and radically became a follower of Jesus. 51 years of non-stop prayer for her son. She went to the prayer room and wouldn't let up. She held on to her kids and and... And 51 years. That just, that, I needed to see that story, and I knew that story and watched that story unfold right before me. We're going to pray for kids today. We're going to pray for our children today. I'm going to ask you if you, maybe you don't have children, or this isn't, maybe just doesn't resonate in your heart, um, then would you pray for those who do? Would you pray for those whose hearts are heavy for their children? Because I know if I ask the question here, how many hears your hearts are heavy for your children? Many hands would go up. But we want to pray for you. And not just today, but we need to stand together. We need to look for ways to ask each other, give permission to ask each other, how's your family doing? Not that you're nosy. It's that can we stand together? One of the things that we, Pam Peter talked about, we entered into a small group for about eight years and and. Twice a month we got together. And our prayers, and we just watched this evolve. I thought they would pray about their businesses and their workplace, and that's where I thought their prayer. No, no, it kept coming back to our kids, coming back to our family. And we realized that was God. He was calling us to hold our families up together in prayer. And when we would part from one another, we continued to hold up LJ. We hold, held up Russell. They would hold up our kids. When we separated, we're all in different areas now, but when we did, we keep coming back and Hey, what's going on? How's God continuing to answer that prayer? Years later, we're believing together. And I know you want that for your family. I'm going to invite you. Would you join me in standing? Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.